Does it matter if I was four weeks or I was nine weeks? Like it still fucking hurts. So my whole thing is like a loss is a loss is a loss. And I hope that we can kind of stop putting parameters on like how much we should be grieving because I think it's just hard no matter what. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am so honored to be speaking with my guest today. I have the privilege of talking with Ali Prado, the host of the podcast Infertile AF and co-founder of Fertility Rally. We are going to be discussing all things related to mental health and infertility. This is a topic that people avoid talking about because no one feels comfortable talking about infertility and no one feels comfortable talking about mental health. So we are going to combine the two topics and make some people really uncomfortable listening to this. So Allie, you are so brave for having this conversation with me and being a resource for women who are going through challenging infertility journeys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your podcast, and Fertility Rally? Absolutely. Before I do that, I just want to thank you so much for having me on and for covering this topic. Um, You know, like we said, it's something that isn't covered enough. It's still got a little stigma around it. So the more we can get out here and have these conversations, the better. Um, But yeah, my name is Allie Prado. I um, am a Chicagoan, but I live in New Jersey right now. Just moved here from New York. Um, but Chicago is my hometown always at heart. And um, I'm a journalist. So I went to school for journalism, worked in magazines for many, many years, doing like celebrity profiles and entertainment coverage. And I've always kind of been a storyteller, which kind of brings us to where I am in my career today. So um, I've always loved interviewing people, always been super curious about people's stories and what's going on in their lives. In my personal life, I ended up going through a secondary infertility journey. So I had my daughter ever, who's now 11, um, which is crazy to say, but she, um, I had her when I was 34. So it was a little later in life. I didn't have any problems, thankfully, getting pregnant with her, and my pregnancy was fairly uneventful. Um, I did have something called placenta previa, but that has nothing to do with infertility. It's just a um, medical condition where basically you're Placenta is blocking your cervix, so when it comes time to have the baby, you have to have a C-section if it hasn't moved out of the way because there's nowhere for the baby to go. So other than that, um, it was a great pregnancy. She was born healthy, Um, and the reason I'm telling all this backstory is because it wasn't – I didn't know that I was going to have fertility issues. I didn't – I had no idea that when it came time to have our second kid, I would enter this infertility world. Um, I was very naive about my – body and my own health and my own fertility. Um, we've talked, I've talked to so many women in the past couple of years about this and the sex education that we all got or the lack thereof. And, you know, I was always kind of taught like go on birth control when you want to get pregnant, come off birth control. It should happen. Getting pregnant's really easy. You know, we were kind of 
always scared straight, I think I would say, because it was always like, don't have sex unprotected or you'll get, you know, you'll get pregnant. Um, that was kind of what I always thought. So when I did get pregnant with my daughter easily, I was like, oh, well, when it comes time for the second baby, you know, easy peasy, no problem. But that's not what happened at all. So we didn't start to try for our second kid until I was about 38, which is like geriatric in the fertility world. <laughs> I had never heard that term before, but you know, I was living in New York and we weren't in a huge rush and a lot of our friends hadn't had kids yet. Um, it didn't seem old to me. I still feel like I'm like 16 at heart. <laughs> so I didn't feel, you know, geriatric going into the second go around to have my baby. So we did start to try for the second kid. Um, I did end up getting pregnant right away, but I had a very early miscarriage. Um, and then I had three more. So I had four miscarriages back to back to back to back. And I was like, after the first one, not that it wasn't devastating, but it was kind of, you know, miscarriages are very common. It's like one in four is the statistic. So I had a lot of friends and family members who had had a mis one miscarriage. So I didn't really think anything was going on with my fertility um, after the first one. But then after, you know, the third and the fourth one, I was like, okay, there's something going on here. So, um, you know, subsequently a lot happened with mental health and I kind of fell into a depression and I'm happy to expand on all of that. My husband and I really went through some hard times relationship wise, and I'm happy to talk about all of that as well. Um, but I'll just round out this story by saying I did end up doing IVF, which wasn't something I ever thought I was going to have to do. And again, I sound like an idiot when I say this, but you know, I'll say it because I know if I thought it, I'm sure there's other people too. But I thought IVF was when you wanted to like have multiples or when you, I thought it was kind of elective. I didn't realize that it was, that infertility is a medical condition and a lot of people have to use it to have any babies at all. So I was so naive about assisted reproductive technology in general. I, had, I knew nothing about it, but I did end up doing one round of IVF. And crazily enough, that one round did work. I had one healthy genetically tested embryo and we had that transferred and it ended up becoming my son who is now five and a half. So that's the, the those are the broad strokes. I mean, there's a lot we can get into there and I'll let you ask questions so I'm not just droning on. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the overarching thing is I just, I never thought that infertility would be my story. And I think a lot of women feel that way. Like, I never thought I was going to go through this. I never thought I would be in this community. So it's, you know, it's a total, can we swear on your podcast, Justine? Yes, we can. <laughs> okay. It's just a total mind fuck when you find yourself in this situation. So, um, you know, I've kind of made it my goal to help everybody who's coming after me and to try to normalize the conversation and break these stigmas and provide support and all that stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. What a story. So many things I want to comment on. One, I love that you are willing to share about secondary infertility. I feel like that's really like no one wants to talk about infertility in general, but then no one talks enough about secondary infertility. Um, and sometimes that's minimized for people um, where it is extremely significant and difficult to go through. 
Also, you're so right about the messaging in women as teenage girls. It's like, do not have sex. You will get pregnant. Like one equals the other and they scare us, right? And then when it comes time to have kids, you really like it comes out of nowhere where you're like, what do you mean I'm having trouble with this? I thought it was simple. Like I thought one and one equals two. So totally agree on that. Um, But Thank you. Thank you for sharing this story. And I'm guessing you started your podcast because you wanted a platform for other women to be able to connect, which is a beautiful thing. Women need a place to talk about this. How long um, have you had your podcast and how long um, have you had Fertility Rally? Yeah. So um, just going back to what I was saying at the beginning where, you know, I've always loved interviewing people and I've always loved hearing other people's stories. Um, you know, I was working full time in a writing position and editing editing position. But on the side, I was like, I need to write a book about my IVF journey. Um, this is after my son had been born. Um, and I will say, again, going back to the mental health piece of this, I wasn't ready to like talk about it or write about it or even like go back there because I had so much PTSD from what I went through. Um, so it wasn't until he was like two years old that you know, because I had had people at magazines, friends of mine say, you should write an essay about this, or will you write a first person thing? And for the first couple of years, I was like, I can't, I can't even open that box. It's too raw. I went through too much. Um, it was too painful. I was too depressed. I can't go back down that dark hole again. So I said no for a couple of years. And then finally, it started to feel better. And then I realized I can't just sit on this. And what I went through, I have to share this stuff because I really want it to be better for people. Because when I was going through it, I didn't have a support system in the community. I mean, I had friends and family, but I didn't have anybody who got it and who was going through it like I was. Thankfully, there's a lot more community and support today. But, you know, the reason that I did start the podcast is because I felt like there were so many people who had really interesting paths to parenthood not only through infertility, but also through adoption and surrogacy and single mothers by choice. And I just wanted to put those stories out there because, you know, I felt like it could help anybody going through this feel less alone if they heard somebody else's story. So that's when I started it. Um, I launched it in March 2019. And today the 124th episode dropped. So congrats. Thank you. Um, It's been great. I mean, I can't believe all the different things that people have gone through to build their families. And I will say, I also cover the not so happy endings or the, or the happy endings that don't involve children. Cause I think it's really important to, to address the childless, not by choice community or the childless by choice community. There's like different terminologies. Um, but you know, some people go through infertility and decide I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm going to be happy with myself or my partner or whatever, and they don't end up having kids. And I think it's important to share those stories as well. I absolutely love that. Um, And, you know, research shows that the best resource and support for women who are struggling with infertility is group support. One-on-one therapy Mm -hmm. is great, but it's that group dynamic, that group support with other people who understand what you're going through um, outside your everyday life is really how people can get through with their struggles. So, that I love that you use the platform through Fertility Rally and through your podcast. That's amazing, Allie. It really is. So let's dive in. Let's talk a little bit about how your mental health was impacted throughout your own journey. 
Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about your feelings related to your miscarriages and then your feelings related to the IVF process. So what was going on in terms of your mental health during that time? It's, it's so many complicated feelings and so much, so many layers that I'm still feeling like I'm kind of trying to unpack them all. Um, I will say like the PTSD is real. I don't know if I'll ever shake it fully. Um, you know, I'm here. I am. My son is five and a half. My daughter's 11. I'm far removed from going through like the quote unquote infertility journey. But as anybody who's gone through this knows, it never leaves you. It just doesn't ever leave you. It's so traumatic. And, you know, I mean, I kind of breezed through my story at the beginning, but, you know, I'll tell you some of the lower points were like, you know, having that second miscarriage and the third and the fourth and feeling so frustrated with my body and feeling so broken and not understanding what was going on. You know, there were so many questions that I had, like, I felt like one way to describe it, it was like, I felt like I was doing all the things right. Like I was super healthy. I like cut back on all vices, you know, alcohol and caffeine and all that stuff. Um, you know, was trying to get in the best physical shape that I could, taking all the like woo-woo elixirs, going to acupuncture, you know, trying everything under the sun that I had heard would help in terms of diet and exercise and just like self-care. And I still was coming up short. So it was like studying for a test as hard as you can and still getting an F. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And it's so frustrating. Um, so there's like that level of frustration. And then there's a level of anger too, because you're like, why am I going, like, why me? You know, you start to have that little bit of like self pity. Um, you know, once you're trying to get pregnant, it seems like everybody around you is getting pregnant with no problems. You know, and I remember when I was in the thick of it and I was just feeling so damaged and broken and sad because there's nothing sadder than wanting a baby and not being able to have one. It's so sad, you know, but I remember seeing like Halle Berry at the time had just had a baby and she was on the cover of like Us Weekly or something. And she was like 47 at the time, 46. And it was like, Halle ba Berry has a baby, like by sneezing. And I don't know Halle Berry and I'm not spec. I mean, I am speculating. I've, this is just, my theory, like I'm guessing she used some sort of assisted reproductive technology, but she never talked about it. And that like people who are in the public eye who do talk about it, I think are great. I'm not saying that everybody should if they don't feel comfortable with it. But I also feel like putting out this false illusion that it's super easy to get pregnant when you're 47 is just doing others a disservice, right? So I remember feeling jealousy because I was like, how are all these people getting pregnant? And they're older than me and they're seemingly having no problems. And then, you know, if you want, we can talk about the, the piece with my husband, which was like, we almost split up. Like it was so hard on our relationship. Um, and there was a lot going on there as well. So yeah, so I'm, I want to get unpack some of this. So there's a lot of frustration, anger, self pity, jealousy. Um, I'm wondering, because this process was so out of your control. You did everything you could by the book, through word of mouth, your research to set yourself up to get pregnant. It wasn't working so out of your control. Did you experience any anxiety because of that? Oh, totally. Yes. Anxiety. And also with secondary infertility, which is an interesting animal too, 
I felt guilty because I was like, I have a kid already. So what, and like what the way that I've tried to explain secondary infertility in my case, at least was that it wasn't that my daughter wasn't enough. It was that she was so wonderful. And I loved being a mom so much that I wanted to do it. I wanted it again. I wanted that experience again. I wanted to have another kid because she made me so happy. So it's, it was coming from a place of love. It was never coming from a place of one's not enough or there's anything wrong at all with only children, which there's not, um, you know, funny sidebar. My husband is an only child of two only children. I think that's part of the problem that we had was that he didn't understand why I was putting myself through all this pain and why I was also putting our relationship through this pain because he was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having one kid. And I was trying to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with it either, but it's not what I want. I want one more. And he could have gone either way. You know, he was happy with the one. So that was like a lot of our friction was like, we didn't want the same things. And I was dying inside that I wasn't able to have the second kid. And he didn't feel the same way. He was okay with it. So it was like, I think a good way to explain it is not only did I have these physical challenges, but then I had this relationship challenge challenge too, where I felt like he was also kind of stopping me or not agreeing with me. And that was another, yet another barrier that I couldn't cross. And I was really pissed off at him, really mad at him for a long time. Wow. Um, and I love that you're highlighting this because I'm sure that a lot of couples can relate. Um, and it meant something to you to have this second baby where it didn't, he didn't have the same connection to it. He was satisfied. He grew up as an only child, so he couldn't really see your point of view. Um, and I'm guessing that happens a lot in relationships, in couples that are trying to conceive and are having yeah. a, having a hard time with it. They might be on different pages um, and they may not agree about what the next steps could be. Did you guys ever have disagreements about what to do next in order to have the second child? Or was it kind of you taking the lead? What was that like? No, 100%. I think there was a couple years where it was like, we were so strained. And, you know, another part of it, too, that I think that people don't talk about so much is like when you're in a relationship and you're having sex to like have a child only, you know, you're tracking your ovulation and you're like, I'm ovulating, like we got to do it now. Like there's nothing sexy about that. So like that whole intimacy thing had been stripped away because it was like sex is to make the baby. I'm tracking my cycle. We got to do it on this day. It's not sexy. We're both like sweating. And then he's like not able to keep it up because he doesn't feel it. He doesn't want to do it. You know, like there was, it was so fraught and so much pressure. And so we started fighting about that too, because we were losing our, our sense of a couple, you know, and um, there was many, many conversations, many teary conversations that we had, many fights you know, I remember saying to him at one point, I wish I didn't want this so badly because I know that I'm fucking everything up because I want like I'm screwing up our relationship. I'm screwing up my mental health, but I can't not want this. And it was so that was a really hard time for me because it was like I couldn't stop. I'm like getting teary even thinking about it all this time later because I couldn't deny what I really wanted and I didn't want to deny it. But what I wanted was really screwing everything up. And that was really hard. That sounds so difficult because you have this dream, this wish, 
for your motherhood experience and it was causing so much stress in your life, but you couldn't give it up, right? And that is really tough. There's a lot of choices I'm sure you had to make during that process. What do you think um, got you and your husband through it at the time? Well, I started going to therapy, which was huge. I'm a big, big fan <laughs> of counseling and therapy. Um, as I've talked about before, um, you know, it's so important, I think. Um, and thankfully, there's so many accessible ways to get it now. You know, it's not like the $200 an hour therapist anymore. You can do teletherapy and all that stuff. So that's good. But I did start seeing somebody and she kind of got me to a place where it was like a mindset mindset shift where she was getting trying to get me comfortable with the fact that if I did have a family of three, it was going to be okay. So that was kind of what we were working towards. And I was getting to that point. But I still kind of, you know, with my husband, I still was like, I just want to try IVF. Like I had met with a reproductive endocrinologist and he was like, you're a perfect candidate. You've got a lot of eggs. Um, it's just the egg quality. The reason you're having this recurrent pregnancy loss is because you're, it's a genetic thing. These aren't healthy babies. So actually my body was doing the right thing by getting rid of these unhealthy pregnancies. But of course you can't see it at, at that at the time. Like I was like, no, my body's doing the wrong thing. It's not staying pregnant. Um, so that was confusing actually too. But anyway, I did therapy and I did finally, you know, we, Vince and I had like a come to Jesus moment where I was like, let me just, let's just try it one round. And if it doesn't work, we will close the chapter and I will live with that. And I will be happy as a family of three. So that was kind of our agreement, but it took us like four years to get to that point. It sounds like you came to a point where you had to set a boundary with yourself and kind of say like, yeah. this is a lot. Um, I'm going to give it one chance through IVF and that's my limit. That's the boundary. And like beautifully it worked. Um, but you had to set a boundary with yourself. And I love hearing that therapy helped. Did you guys ever try couples therapy or was it more of your own individual work? We did afterwards because like I said, I had a lot of residual anger towards him and it started seeping into other areas of our relationship, but um, it, we didn't stick with it. It was just too, I don't know. It, 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 he wasn't into it. It was very expensive. You know, like sadly money does play a role in this too. Um, that was part of the reason that we did only do the one round of IVF because none of it was covered for us. No, no IVF or meds or anything. It was all completely out of pocket. So frankly, we couldn't afford to do another round. So it was just, that was our agreement was like, let's do this one round you know, the odds of it working, the percentages were like, I think it was like 20 something percent at the end of the day. You know, we had these embryos tested. I had five tested, only one came back healthy. So the odds of the one sticking is again, the odds were against you. They were against me. And I still, I still can't believe that it, it worked. And I still can't believe that my son is here. And I've said this many times before, but every single day I look at him and I say, I still can't believe you're here because I feel like it's important to put that out there. And he's like, he's getting to the point now where he's like, like he started saying, mom, I'm always here. And like, but and like one of these days he'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> it's true. Like I still, you know, also working with all these women at fertility rally and meeting so many people, 
and, you know, having so many people on my podcast that have gone through round after round and, you know, surgery after surgery and procedure and treatments, it is a complete miracle that the one, the one round with the one embryo took, it was, it's a miracle. Such, such a blessing. I mean, you know, I believe in science, but I also believe in like magic and the universe and all that. I think it all came to play. Okay, guys, if you're looking to listen to another podcast related to your mental health, I highly recommend listening to Mothering Anxiety. Mothering Anxiety is a podcast hosted by Maria Lopez, a stay-at-home mom that gets very vulnerable about living life with anxiety. She talks about her own personal experiences and how anxiety has affected so many different aspects in her own life. This is one of the most honest and transparent podcasts to show that even though you live with a mental illness, it doesn't mean you can't live a wonderful life. Take a listen as she talks about how she's learned to love her own anxiety and how she teaches others how beautiful life can be living with a mental illness. New episodes premiere every Monday and they're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. I want to go back to thinking about mental health throughout this process. A few things I want to go back to. One is your PTSD. What were some, so for those listening, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, So a traumatic event would cause this reaction in somebody and going through a difficult time with fertility is considered a traumatic event. And it's our body and our brain having a hard time digesting and processing what has happened. Um, it's like shattered glass in our brain. We, it's all over the place. We don't know where to file it in our memory. We don't know where to store it. It doesn't make sense. We try so hard to make sense of it and we can't. So there's a lot of triggers out in our environment when you've struggled with trauma. What were some of your triggers with PTSD? Like, is there anything you would see or smell or hear that would bring this grief or sadness back to you? Um, And I love, you know, I have to say that you were a guest at one of our fertility rally support groups recently. And you said that line about the shattered glass that really resonated with me. I've never heard it described like that before. And I think that was just such a perfect description. Thank you. I'm so glad. I need a visual sometimes. You had so many gems that night, Justine. <laughs> like you, oh my gosh. Thank you. That's a different conversation for a different day. For everyone listening, like Justine is brilliant. And just your, the way that you, the way that you phrase things, you had so many things I'd never heard it phrased that way before. And you really like, I felt like a breakthrough listening to I you. So thank you. That. Um, but triggers, yeah. Triggers are real. One of mine that I still have is Pampers commercials. <laughs> Um, which sounds silly, but I'm not kidding you. There was this one Pampers commercial that was like on heavy, heavy rotation when I was like in the depths of despair and it would come on and it was like this woman that had just given birth and they're putting the baby in skin to skin. And I would just like physically feel sick to my stomach and get crazy. Like, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like not chills, but like bad chills. Like, ugh. I, and even to this day, if I see a Pampers commercial, I get that same feeling, which is wild, right? Wow. Why is that? How can you from like a clinical point of view? So your brain has associated that commercial with this traumatic time in your life. Like they correlate to each other. And with trauma, it's it's a whole body reaction. It's your whole nervous system 
not being able to process it. So, for example, if you watch a cheetah chase an impala, the impala, if they escape, their whole body shakes. They literally were designed to shake out that trauma in their nervous system. They're like, phew, I survived. I'm good to go. They never think about it again. Our nervous system cannot process it like that, unfortunately. So trauma gets stuck everywhere in our brain, in our body, in our joints, in our stomach, in our gut. So So you have this Pampers commercial going on at a time in your life that is so traumatic um, you will you have that imprinted on you. So every time that maybe sound or smell or that TV show or that commercial comes on, you're zapped back into the past because your brain hasn't fully processed it. Yeah. So you actually feel like you're back in time in that moment, even though you're here today and things turned out well. Does that make sense? Completely. I wish I was more like the Impala and could shake it <laughs> off. But too. how do you get rid of that? Is it like I've been reading a lot or hearing a lot about that, like tapping therapy. Are you into that at all? So I've heard about it. I've looked into maybe trying that and developing that skill to teach to clients. I heard that works well. But um, the best treatment for um, trauma is EMDR therapy. Okay which I'm not certified in, but I have colleagues that are, and it works wonders. Um, And it's eye movement desensitization. So we process things through our eyeballs, Mm -hmm. sending messages to our brain. And the psychologist who developed EMDR happened to do it by chance. She... I can mess this story up. If there's someone, if there's a therapist out there listening, correct me if I'm saying this wrong. I think she was on a bridge watching cars go by back and forth and noticed that she started to feel better when her, her eyeballs were going side to side. So she developed this therapy to help you process it. So in EMDR, you're working with a therapist who has um, lights or something in your hands that helps you move your eyes side to side and process the trauma while talking about the traumatic events. So you can process it. um, And there's this wonderful therapeutic technique that can help. Okay. I definitely want to look into that. I think it's really cool. Um, But yeah, so that's my main trigger. But I, you know, a lot of other people get triggered by seeing a baby bump or something on social media, or, you know, there's triggers everywhere. And it's hard. It's like a minefield out there when you're in that trying to conceive in the midst of it. It's, it's tricky. It's really tricky. And I'm also curious about how grief showed up for you throughout this process with your miscarriages. That was another thing that you mentioned about grief. Yeah. Grief is a form of love. Yeah. That really resonated with me as well. Um, Yeah. Grief, so much grief, you know, grief of, you know, one thing I will say was that in one thing I'm trying, I guess, to kind of change and talk about is like, when people have an early loss, you know, an early miscarriage, there's all these terms, right? Like chemical pregnancy, missed miscarriage, you know, late miscarriage, you know, different times when you can have a loss. But then there's also people that get embryos tested and they don't come back healthy. So that's a loss. Um, Embryos that don't thaw and die during the thaw, that's a loss. The loss of a dream, the loss of a cycle because it was canceled. You know, there's so many different losses and levels of loss that I'm hoping to kind of get rid of all the like the tags and the boxes that everything's put into because I feel like as women, you know, we sometimes will say, well, I had a loss, but it was early. And I'm like, but nothing. That was still a loss. And that's still something you need to grieve. And I don't think that 
we need to minimize our grief because of I was only so far along or I wasn't pregnant yet, but the cycle didn't work. Like, I think it's all really, really hard. And I just hope that women will give themselves some grace and also stop being so judgmental of each other's journeys. And, you know, some people, and this is common, like I I know people are coming from a good place, but when you have a loss, people will say, oh, how far along were you? And it's like, why does that matter? You know, I get it. They want to like context it, right? Like they want to put it in perspective, but it's like, does it matter if I was four weeks or I was nine weeks? Like it still fucking hurts. So my whole thing is like a loss is a loss is a loss. And I hope that we can kind of stop putting parameters on like how much we should be grieving because I think it's just hard no matter what. I want to like clap for you over here. All of that makes so much sense. Yeah. You put such good language yeah. to emotion for women going through this. A loss is a loss. It doesn't matter how far along you were. I get people are trying to put it into perspective and understand it, but it's so difficult to experience this loss in any way. And I love how you painted a picture of the different types of loss women are experiencing through this process. And we often think of grief as losing someone that's alive that we have known forever and that we had a close connection to. Grief can show up as a loss of a dream, a loss of a hope, uh, a loss of an experience, a loss of an attachment. It could also be lost to places or things. So grief shows up in a broad spectrum and it definitely is present in a a fertility journey, 100%. It's also interesting too, because I feel like people compare their grief, you know, they'll compare to other people's stories and minimize and be like, well, it wasn't that bad. It could have been worse. Or especially with trauma too, I've heard clients say like, I don't feel like my experience is traumatic enough. Or is this considered trauma because it doesn't sound that bad in comparison to Sally who experienced this? And trauma is trauma. Grief is grief. It impacts us. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be processed. It's all valuable, if that makes sense. I fully agree with you. And I get that as well on my end with the podcast. You know, people will reach out and email and say, I want to share my story, but it's not as bad as some of the other ones. Or it's I haven't been through as much or I haven't been trying for as long. And to every single person, I say, this isn't the grief Olympics. Like we don't need to compare. We've got it harder. Um, And you're, of course, I want to hear your story. Everybody's story matters. You know, I really think we need to equalize this. And, you know, again, I don't mean to say like everybody should be feeling sorry for themselves all the time. I just want women to feel and men to feel comfortable in giving themselves time to grieve because I, I just think we've been conditioned for so long that we need to be tough and like stick it out and get over it. And it was an early, you know, you were only four weeks pregnant, you know, no big deal. And, and I just think that's BS. Like, I don't, I don't think that that helps anybody. I think you have to grieve in order to grow and move on. And, you know, otherwise the effects can be really even more traumatic. It's hard to go through all of this, you know, and you're putting such good language to the emotions that people feel when they go through this process. I'm also curious, did you ever feel moments of um, being lonely when you were going through this? Yeah, I did completely. Um, You know, like I said before, I, I did have friends and family that I could talk to, but especially going through this and having loss after loss, I kind of started to feel really insecure about sharing my story because I felt like my friends were going to be like, okay, we get it. You had another miscarriage or like, you're trying. 
And nobody ever said that to me, but you start to think, you know, you play mind games with yourself because you don't want to be that person that everybody's like talking shit about behind your back or like thinking that, you know, I, I was certain I'm sure there were some people that were like, why is she putting herself through this? They've got ever, they've got this beautiful daughter, you know, nobody said that to me, but I'm sure people thought that, you know, why are you choosing this hard path? And like I said before, I couldn't not choose it. But point being, um, you know, I, I did feel very alone and I, I didn't have like the Instagram community wasn't a thing when I was going through this. There certainly weren't a lot of podcasts and there weren't that many books um, I just couldn't find my people. And that, you know, that's a good transition into talking about Fertility Rally, which is the, you know, online community that I've co-founded with Blair Nelson of Fab Fertility. She and I met through being on each other's podcasts. Um, she emailed me actually when I started my show and was like, I've been through a fuck ton of shit. Can I be on your show? And I was like, I like this girl. <laughs> She's my business partner. Um, but yeah, so we started Fertility Rally, which is an online community. Um but we've also got, you know, content and curated events because it's the place that I wish I had when I was going through it. You know, we've got weekly support groups, Monday nights and and Wednesday nights. We've just expanded into pregnancy after infertility and motherhood after infertility support because as we said before, like trauma the trauma doesn't always leave, it doesn't leave you even once you've gotten pregnant or once you've had a kid, you're still in that like weird anxiety zone. So we've, you know, we've got these two different types of support groups and we've got lots of content and we're always doing special events and, and basically just creating a safe space for people to be with other people who are going through the same thing or similar things. And we always say it's, you know, it's the worst club with the best members because it's like nobody wants to be in this space. But I've found that everybody who is really is wants to help each other out and wants to lift each other up. And I've met like some of my best friends just through this community and through Fertility Rally. And it's crazily enough, it's people I've never even met in person. <laughs> I have to just speak to it as someone that was a guest speaker for it. I mean, I, I wasn't there for very long, but just being a part of it for that moment in time, it was such an energy vibe of positivity and it felt like everyone was a cheerleader for each other it was so special and so unique so if anyone's interested it was amazing I encourage everyone to look into this support system thank you so much yeah I mean we you know we definitely don't want to be too like rah rah positive you can always come and you can always cry and you know we had a member the other night I won't say who obviously but you know, she was like, can I say something? Because I'm the worst person in the world. And we're like, no, you're not. But yes, tell us. Whatever you're about to say, we've probably felt it too. You know, there's probably 40 people on this call. And um, she was like, I met my new niece and I hated every minute of it. Because she like, you know, her sister had had a baby when she was supposed to have a baby. And she had to terminate her pregnancy for medical reasons. And but we were like, oh, my God, you're not the worst person for saying that. You're, we've felt that, too. You know, So it's like that's what we've tried to create is a space where you can come and say things like that and people will understand and you don't come off like you're insensitive or, you know. But we also, yeah, we do like to, to root for each other and cheer each other on. And that's why we call it Fertility Rally because we're like, let's rally together. Let's rally around each other. Let's lift each other up. That's our whole MO. That's so beautiful. It's such an amazing space for women. It really, really is. 
so you created the podcast and Fertility Rally because you, those are things you needed when you were going through it. What were some other things that might have been helpful or supportive to you while you were in the trenches with this? Oh my gosh, so many things. Um, just from a logistics point of view, you know, I think the, well, there's one thing I just read that Senator Tammy Duckworth is working on right now. Um, which is like a, I can't remember the name of it, but the, you know, like a medical leave act where like, if you have a loss, if you have a miscarriage or a stillbirth or something, you know, your, your workplace will recognize that as something and give you time off. Cause there's so many women have a DNC after a miscarriage and they're like, have to be back at work the next day. And that's messed up. So, you know, things like that, that I wish had existed was more understanding from the employers that I had and just employers in general, more conversation just in the world at large about, you know, loss and miscarriage and all the things. And also, like I said, adoption and surrogacy, you know, just it's, I feel like it's so hush hush still. Do you feel like that? Or do you feel like it's gotten more? I mean, it's, it's definitely gotten better. A hundred percent. It's gotten a little bit better, but it is like nobody wants to talk about it. It's so uncomfortable for people, but then there's so many people that can relate. So we should be talking about it. Um, And I love hearing what you just shared about leave in the workplace because of these events. That is, it's like, duh, why wouldn't we have that option? Yeah. There's some cool people that are working, you know, in government to change stuff like that. So hopefully that will be become more of the norm. But yeah, I mean, just I think those are kind of the main things, just community and more less stigmas and more real conversations is what I, I had hoped. Yeah. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, people feel like they never know what to say. What is the right thing to say? What is the wrong thing to say? What are some of the wrong things to say with, to someone that's struggling? And what are some of the helpful right things to say that someone that's struggling with infertility? That's such a good question. Thank you for asking that. You know, I always say... One thing that I think is, again, coming from a good place but can be hurtful is when someone says, well, at least dot, 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 at least you weren't so far along. At least, you know, you'd never met the baby, so it wasn't really somebody that you knew about. You know, at least you got pregnant in the first place. At least you're young. You know, things like that. It's like, at least my ass. Like, don't say that. (laughs) Like... (laughs) You know, though that's really hard. I think also when someone's like, well, I can't even imagine. Like, that also is like kind of a lazy way to empathize, I feel like. You know, it's like, well, I don't know. I feel like that just always comes off the wrong way. You know, anything about, well, you can have my kids or like, you know, why don't you just relax? Why don't you go on a vacation? Why don't you stop trying so hard? Things like that where it's like people you know, again, I, I get it. People are trying to be helpful, but those are just things that I don't think work anymore. Um, but things that do work, I would say, are even just admitting, like, if a friend calls you or texts you and has had a loss or is having a hard time, even if you just say, I'm so sorry. I know it's hard. I love you. I'm here for you. Do you want to talk? Or like, I'm bringing dinner over. You don't have to come outside. I'm dropping it off tonight, you know, I'm there if you need me, like taking like action instead of like, what do you need? Because that like puts the onus on the person that's hurting and is like, it gives them more work to do. So just, you know, being proactive and saying, you know, I know this is hard. I'm so sorry. And I love you. I think is sometimes enough or just I'm here. I'm listening. 
I'll sit on the phone silently if you want to, if you're ready to talk. If not, I'm here, you know, stuff like that. These are such amazing tips, tangible tips. I, I love all of them. Thank you. Well, you've probably got some really good ones. What are some of yours? Like, what do you tell your clients and stuff? You know, it's just, I think people also need to be seen and have some validation that what they're going through sucks, right? Like to say to a friend, like, this sucks. Like, I see you. I hear you. And just people, not that they're looking, no one's looking for pity ever. And people don't want pity, but they want to be understood that what they're going through is hard. And they still want to be, they still want to talk about it, right? I feel like a lot of people tiptoe around the conversation. I think I encourage people to really still check in be like, how is it for you today? Like, how is this showing up in your life today? And just get the person to express. I think that's helpful for people. What do you think? Yeah. Also, I think, you know, there's always an onslaught of of support. And, you know, when somebody has, when something traumatic happens or like if they have a loss right away, everybody rallies around, which is wonderful. But I think making a point to check in a couple weeks later or a month later, when then you really start to feel the grief set in or you start to feel super sad, but you feel like you can't talk about it anymore because it already happened. You know what I mean? I think as a friend, it would be good to, if your best friend has had a loss or someone you love, you know, once a month, even just be like, hey, thinking of you, you know, I know it's, it's, still hard, you know, stuff like that, just checking in throughout the process. Because it's, you know, it's, it's not like you have a loss, you're sad, and then you get over it. It's like, it's, it's ongoing. It's still hard. That's the key. Even though time has passed, it's still hard. So that later check in is so valuable for the person that's been struggling. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, what advice do you have for someone currently struggling with infertility? If you could say something to them, what would you say? Well, first of all, I would say, I'm so sorry. I see you and it sucks. And I wouldn't, you know, I don't want this for anybody. But that being said, um, you know, find your people, whether it's, you know, a group like Fertility Rally or it's following a hashtag on Instagram, you know, like, miscarriage awareness or IVF journey or surrogacy journey or adoption journey. So, you know, you can find your people that way, you know, going back to the worst club with the best members, people are willing to talk. So like slide into people's DMs and, you know, tell them what you are going through. And I'm sure that there's people out there. You know, I think that the majority of people that have gone through this and are either on the other side or still kind of in the midst of it, you just want to connect with people. And, you know, people really do want to help each other get through this. And I think that's the only way that we're ultimately going to really shatter the stigmas is like, everybody just pulling up the people that are coming behind them. So, you know, find your people, follow hashtags, definitely seek out, you know, podcasts and books, there's lots of them out there now, which is amazing. And, you know, just talking about it if you want to. And it's also okay not to. Like, I know a lot of people who are on Instagram with, like, anonymous accounts. You know, there's some people in Fertility Rally that don't ever really talk in the meetings, but they just listen and they have their cameras off. And that's totally cool, too. You know, it's whatever you need to get you through that next moment is what you have to do. Um, But overall, I would just say that to anybody who's, like, new to this, you're not alone. You can always reach out to me. You can DM me, you can email me, you know, um, I can put you in touch with other people, you know, it's 
I, I just don't want anybody to feel that loneliness of like when I was like sobbing on the bathroom floor, feeling like the only person in the world. Like I don't want anyone to have to feel that way. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. You're amazing, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. How can listeners connect with you? Um, yeah, a couple different ways. First of all, honestly, thank you. I'm, I feel like we've become friends now, like working together on a couple different things. And I'm so happy to have met you. And I love what you're doing. So thank you for having me. People can find me on Instagram. I'm on Infertile AF Stories is my podcast account. Um, I have a new episode that drops every week. You can also email me at infertileafstories at gmail if you have a story you want to share um, or, you know, somebody that you'd like to see covered on the show. And then Fertility Rally has a website. It's fertilityrally.com. We've got memberships. We open the first week of every month, but we also have lots of content on the site that's not membership. Um, it's it's available to anybody, so you can check it out. We've got, you know, 10 questions to ask at your first doctor's visit. We've got all these little downloadables and stuff. So check out fertilityrally.com. And also we're on Instagram at Fertility Rally. So always putting up you know, fun posts and throwing events and stuff. So anybody can reach out to me at any time. And I just want to send love to anybody that's hurting right now. Thank you so much, Allie. And I will put all that contact information in my show notes for listeners. Thanks, Justine. I love it. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.